Hello, friends, and welcome back to With Great People, the podcast for high-performance teams. I'm Richard Kasparowski, and our special guest today is Adam Weisbart. So this is how I know Adam. Adam is fun. <laughs> Adam teaches really fun classes in Agile and Scrum. He creates fun tools and toys like retrospective fortune cookies, one of my, one of my most... I don't know. One, one, one of the retrospective tools that I love the most because they're tasty. And uh, he helps teams be their best. To support this podcast, visit my website, kasparowski.com. Hey, Adam. Thanks for joining us today. Hey, Richard. Thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. It's good to I'm see super you. excited to have you. Thanks for, th thanks for joining us. What else would you add to that intro? What else can we say about Adam Weisbart? Yeah, I mean, that intro uh, was spot on prior to COVID. <laughs> and now that, that COVID is here, I suppose, and with us for a while, um, you actually were part of, of this initiative early on. Back in June of 2020, I hosted the Agile Virtual Summit. Mm -hmm. uh, we had over 14,500 people register. And I was thinking if we got 1,000 or so, that would be amazing. And uh, that has grown into uh, some more events. We've had a couple other events since then and a community called Agile Mastery. Mm -hmm. um, and so while I'm still teaching classes and doing coaching and such, um, I've been spending a lot of time building community around all things Agile, uh, around the, the summits and uh, the Agile Mastery group that we have. Um, and that's been really, really fantastic to be connecting with folks during a time when we're... Uh, strangely more connected in that we zoom into each other's houses yeah. every minute of the day, but also less connected because we don't get to see each other at like conferences where you and I used to run into each other like know, all yeah. the time while we were wearing black shirts. Black shirts like we're wearing right now. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, yeah, I'd probably like add we're, that. We're to more the connected list. and less connected and, and differently connected, right? Yeah. So Adam, this podcast is about teams and I, I know you definitely work with teams. Uh, yep. I like to ask people about the best team of their life, the best team they've ever been a member of, right? So, so you and I, we, we both teach people who are on teams, we coach teams, but what about a team that you've been a member of? Could you think of like, what's the best one of those that you've ever been on in your life? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So this is hard for me. I imagine this is hard when you ask, ask anyone, it's like picking... I mean, I only have one kid, but it's like picking your favorite kid. Um, I, I would pick my one kid if I had to pick which kid. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's fair. I will totally pick my one kid. But in this case, I've had more than one team or worked on more than one team. So um, I could pick a number of them. But the first one that comes to mind, I think, uh, was actually my first my first scrum team ever. Mm -hmm. um, and that's strange to me in that you would think maybe the first one is where you make lots of mistakes if you're booting up a scrum team, which, which I did and we did. Um, but uh, looking back at it, it's definitely one of my one of my favorite teams and it's the one that pops into my mind first. All right, so so what, what else about this team? Uh, what were you building? Who were they? What, what time period was this? Tell us everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so time, I'd have to look at a calendar, but I think it was 12, 13, 14 years ago, something like that. Okay. Um, we were building uh, private labeled social networking tools uh, for companies like Marriott and uh, otherwise. Mm -hmm. And um, this is when I discovered Scrum, right? So I think one of the things that makes it 
most exciting to me is like, I was super excited about agility and scrum and such. Uh, I took a certified scrum master course um, as at the time I was an engineering manager, right? So I had a team. Um, I was heading up this product that I had pitched to the CEO. Uh, the CEO loved it, decided to fund uh, the product. And um, I was managing the team as a manager. But at the time, I, I was pretty frustrated with the idea that like if I was sick or on vacation, I had this great team, but not much got done while I was not there. And I thought like, I'm a smart person, but I'm not as smart as these six or seven people working together. Um, why doesn't stuff go as well? And so I discovered the Scrum thing, um, got really excited about it, took a two-day certification course from Jimmy Fosdick way back when in San Francisco, and uh, who, who I hadn't met till the, till the course. And um, uh, just got really excited that Scrum was like all this stuff that I had accidentally learned over the years from running my own business to being an engineering manager. It's just a bunch of common sense wrapped up into a lightweight framework. And so I got super excited and introduced it to the team. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we switched from me managing them to them actually managing themselves with a, I don't know, crazy thing like a product backlog. And I did a bunch of things wrong. It was my first time doing this. Yep. Um, but we improved actually really, really quickly. And, um, you know, some of the dynamics that we had prior to uh, that uh, went away, like the troubling ones of, of mm -hmm. frankly, probably stemming from me trying to manage people um, or managing people doing it, doing it well, but then maybe not not loving that um, yeah. to a, a really fantastic team. All right. So now. If you could summarize that whole experience, that best team of your life in one word, and I know there's a lot of words and how could you pick just one? What would that one word be? Uh, collaboration. Collaboration. Um, yeah, seeing how everyone came together, um, focusing on the same goal, and uh, together uh, collaborated towards that goal was was fantastic. Now, how do you how do you know this was the best team? I mean. So far, it's it's just very subjective. So, what else subjectively about this is it, it led you to say that this was the best team of your life? You know, one of the things that we were required to do at the time at that organization was have all our stuff QA'd. Mm -hmm. That sounds weird because every we should be QAing all our stuff, but specifically, we would lob it over a very tall fence. Uh, to the QA team that was outsourced in China. Mm -hmm. uh, overnight, we'd get some feedback, probably, or a couple nights later, a um, couple days later. And uh, that was really an organizational impediment, as you probably can imagine. Yeah. Um, this organization was not huge, um, and this added complexity led to frustration, delays, etc. cetera. Um, and we were required to do that. That wasn't something that I could remove, um, even in my position there. And so I said to the team, uh, like through one of our retrospectives, we discovered um, that this was a, a big issue for us. Mm -hmm. And so I said, well, what would it look like if, if we just figured out how to do that properly uh, on, on our team, on our cross-functional team? Uh, we don't technically have, uh, I think we had one QA person on the team, but we, we don't have all sort of the bandwidth and resources that this bigger team over in China has. But how could we do that? What would that look like? Um, we started doing um, some behavior-driven development uh, stuff. 
Um, I think at the time we were using Cucumber uh, uh, to run uh, some tests and such. Uh, and what we ended up with was uh, a stunned organization in that all the other teams in the organization would lob stuff to China, get a bunch of bugs back, it would slow down schedules, it would blow stuff up. And we just sent stuff to China that never came back with any bugs. Uh-huh. So they were testing and there was like no need to be doing this anymore. So we got to, uh, not according to us, but according to the organization, just stop doing that. We didn't need to send it to China anymore because after a few months of this, we could show that, look, uh, this isn't even uh, subjective. Like, yeah, we don't even we don't even get stalked to that team in person, and they're sending stuff back. So that was a, a really big win pretty early on, and um, it was just a great feeling because it wasn't like me insisting, oh yeah, in Scrum we have cross functional teams and we don't need another team outside of ours to test. It was like, okay, we'll keep sending it, and then they were like, why do we keep spending money on this? This seems silly. <laughs> um, so that was quite rewarding, and the team was. Uh, you know, initially they're like, why do we have to test our own stuff so much? We used to just lob it over a fence. Um, but then they were like just relieved to not have uh, the delays, the miscommunications, et cetera, from, from lobbing yeah. over a fence. Uh, all all, so all the extra great. work, all the heartache, all the negotiating and yeah. fighting. This is a bug. This isn't a bug. Yeah. 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 And just... Um, the team members getting really excited about some agile engineering practices that they they hadn't discovered previously, right? So, okay. Um, so what, what else about those? You said BDD. What? Man, what what else did we what else do we do? We started. Um, uh, I think we started using Git. This was pretty early on, and and sort of maybe GitHub was around. I think they were, mm-hmm. um, but we were using oh, what were we using prior to that. Something that frustrated us even more. Um, <laughs> even though I remember the time we were just like, wow, Git has, it does a good job of making smart people feel really dumb. Uh, but once we got the, the hang of it, I think it was like a, a big relief. Uh, we also, you know, that we're the first team at that organization, uh, to start using Ruby on rails. Um, and we had switched over from some big Java tangled mess. Um, and so that was a, a big relief to everyone. So like just getting introduced to s- simple things like um, dry, like don't repeat yourself, um, was fantastic. And having opinionated frameworks that uh, uh, saved you from having to make a ton of decisions that if you were just starting from scratch in some un- unopinionated uh, approach, mm-hmm. you'd have to make as a team and argue that out for probably months or yeah. one person would make and then other people would be unhappy with. Um yeah, so those things were were super helpful, and I think it was like one of the the first times that folks on that team got to pick their own tools. And I, I certainly had strong opinions at the time because I was trying to lead us to, you know, more opinionated frameworks and such. <laughs> uh, but um, and I am often very opinionated, uh, but I think we had more flexibility than than folks were used to. So. Um, you know, going with the whole individuals and interactions over process and tools thing was 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 helpful. Ooh, nice ideas there. Uh, and when you say opinionated frameworks, what does that mean? Yeah. So I, I will preface this by saying I haven't coded for a very long time. Um, but uh, back in the early days of, of Ruby on Rails, for example, um, both of, uh, of of the founders of, of Thirty Seven Signals. Um, and DHH, who came up with, with Ruby on Rails, was, was the, the first author of it, um, really took the stance that 
there are some very standard things one does in in software. Take something simple like uh, updating uh, a field uh, in, in a database, right? Mm -hmm. um, you could go and rebuild that from scratch every time. Um, you could go and make your own decisions about this same the thing that everyone does over and over again on the web, or Ruby on Rails, which was at the time extracted from from their product Basecamp. So this framework wasn't like created as we're going to make a framework. It was created as we um, we built a product, and from that product that works well in the real world and solved many of our own problems in terms of uh, building this app, we are going to extract a framework from that. Mm -hmm. Much like the Agile Manifesto, right? This is uh, the four values came out of doing this work, not by sitting in an ivory tower coming up with some new cool values for people to follow. Right. Um, and extracted it from uh, from Basecamp and uh, made this framework available to other people to use where you don't have to make these same uh, decisions over and over again. Unless you have a very good reason from deviating from this, you might as well just use uh, what's, what's elegant and built into the framework. So it saves you time doing a bunch of standard things. All right, cool. Sounds yeah. pretty helpful. <laughs> <laughs> Seems reasonable as long as you, I guess, like, I'm, I'm playing agree this with now, the standard of ways of doing <laughs> I'm playing this <laughs> now. Tell us about BDD. Tell us about opinion and yeah. frameworks. Yeah. Um, back to this team, this awesome team. First, first Scrum team you ever on. Best team of your life. Uh, what else, objectively, that that somebody could observe from the outside? Uh, what were the things that that would help other people know that this was a great team if they were watching this team at work? Yeah. Um, well, I mentioned, I mentioned not getting any bugs back. That was a, a pretty big one, frankly. We were uh, delivering more often than teams had traditionally uh, there. And I guess this could be subjective from their point, but I, I, the, the team was happier. Um, I think someone from the outside could, could see that. Mm -hmm. Um, and that wasn't true in the beginning, of course, right? We certainly went through uh, uh, forming and storming and such, and we were in storming for for quite a bit. It was again my first Scrum team, so I, I you know, I also remember like the biggest argument that I had dealt with as a Scrum master ever happened on that team, uh -huh. right? Um, Wait, what? And what was it? I don't want to talk about it. No, um, <laughs> what was it? It, it's one that I think well, is super to the familiar podcast to called, people. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> I don't want to talk about it. No, no, it's a super common one. Um, uh, and I'm sure most folks listening to this ha have run into it if they've uh, been on a team or been the scrum master of a team. Um, it was during estimation, strangely. Um, at the time, we were using uh, planning poker uh, as our approach for estimation, which um, I no longer use. Uh, except if I have like one or two items for a team to estimate, but generally I, I don't use it for reasons like like this. I think it leads to frankly uh, more arguments. But uh, six people in the room were saying this thing is super easy. It's a it's a one. There was another person in the room, seventh person in the room, who was saying no, no, no. This thing is a twenty one, <laughs> and uh, an argument ensued. And you know the six people were like, how can you disagree with us? We're six people. You're one. You don't know what you're talking about. This is super simple. Yeah. The person was like, no. And this blew up, right? This went back and forth. And being a new Scrum Master and, you know, new to facilitation and knowing that I'm not supposed to jump in and, like, stop an argument like I might have as a manager. Um, but I also didn't know what to do for it not to keep escalating. It kept escalating. It was mm -hmm. a disaster. In the end, 
I kind of realized what was going on. I think I asked a couple fumbly but useful questions. Um, and it turned out, you know, the one person in the room who was saying this thing was, uh, was difficult uh, was the tester on the team. Uh-huh. And the other uh, six people on the team were developers. And they're like, no, this is like a two-second change. Why would this be a 21? And the tester was, was saying, you know, we don't have much testing, if any, around this section of our product by you making that change to test the entire world again manually, also because we can't send it to China anymore. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> and so in the end, they ended up uh, agreeing with, with her. Okay. But it took like 30 minutes of people like close to yelling at each other because I did not facilitate that well. Um, mm-hmm. Though that never happened again, right? Like <laughs> um, not because I put my foot down because I was like, oh, I see what I what I needed to do there, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, I got better at that over time. Yeah. And, you know, nobody, uh, you know, I ended up telling this to, uh, I think this might've been to Jimmy actually after, uh, after this happened. So Jimmy, who I took my certified Scrum Master course ended up uh, becoming uh, uh, my mentor. And um, I don't remember if it was him or someone else, but I shared this with them. And they're like, oh, uh, I, I've had that. that happen on one of my first teams. Um, did you have to call HR? And I was like, no, why would I need to call HR? And they were like, um, because that happened on my team and there was pushing. <laughs> and I was like, oh, well, it didn't get, no, that never happened. There was never a physical contact. So um, I guess it could be worse. Um, anyway. How do we know this was the best team of our life? Well, uh, there was no <laughs> we pushing. didn't have to call HR. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have to call HR. Um, yeah, so those were like in the sort of early-ish days of, of, of this team. Mm-hmm. We got through the storming phase and things were substantially better um, cool. after that. And I got better facilitation. Of course, of course. What about other, uh, other concrete behaviors? that you engaged in together? What are, what are some of the concrete behaviors? You, you adopted Scrum. That's a concrete thing. Yeah. It's not exactly behavior, yeah. it's a framework. But so what are, what are some of the very specific things that you did that went into this sure. being such a great team? Sure. Um, you know, I mentioned uh, behavior-driven development. Mm-hmm. I think that something we did that was unique uh, at the time for us, like everybody on the team, uh, was being really intentional and clear about the way we talked about features in in the product. Okay. Uh, we spent a bunch of time up front like, agreeing on what we would call uh, this section of the UI or what this element in the UI was, yeah. uh, which was painful. Um, we're like, why can't we just get back to work? Um, but getting really clear on those and sort of hashing it out really made it... Uh, so much easier moving forward to just talk about our product together. We had the shorthand for talking about complex things um, that we wouldn't have had otherwise if we hadn't spent that time up front. And it, I think it's really hard to do that up front, especially with uh, you know all the pressure a team gets to you know deliver. Um, doing that up front is is a, a surprising amount of time. You think it's going to be simple and you start going through UI to have this conversation and realize, oh no, this is going to take us a while because we argue about every single one of these things. Um, so that was one of them. Um, taking that action at the beginning to clarify these things and get on the same page. Um, and then in sprint planning, we were writing a bunch of these, uh, these BDD tests um, together as a way to clarify what it is we're actually building. Um, and so that was super helpful. We had given 
uh, stuff from the user's perspective, a ton of thought by the time we got out of sprint planning. Mm -hmm. Um, that was really powerful and it took some getting used to because we're like, wow, this is a bunch of time, but it just made the rest of the sprint so much, so much easier. Like we had, we had figured this out. Um, so those two things helped a ton. All right. And how about advice? Um, what about advice? Advice for Just listeners. Just in general? Well, well, a little bit less than in general. How about for how to have a team as good as this one? What would you tell people to do? Heck, I'd recommend spending some time up front having conversations about how you're going to talk about the thing you are building, like I right. just mentioned. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a thing that... Uh, what partly made that easier is that was really early on in the, in the products, right? So yeah. we sort of had to do that anyway. And I'm thinking about it now, like there's certainly been teams over the last decade that I've worked with that we haven't done that. Um, and uh, my long pause there was sort of considering why. And it's because the product already existed and we started doing Scrum. And so it wasn't like this relatively green fields project. Uh, we were sort of snapping this new team into this existing product. Um, and so I think there was more rush and less thought, um, about those things. So I would still, I would still do that, even though I'm realizing now that I don't, don't always do that. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I would do is, uh, like the broad thing is get good as someone who is facilitating and, and helping this team, um, at listening Uh, And the way that I would specifically do that is um, if you're currently listening to this and are not fantastic or better at facilitating retrospectives, I would focus on running good retrospectives and really improving your art around uh, retrospectives Mm -hmm. Um, because your team will know um, whether they can articulate it or not, the things that are in their way. Um, And, uh, that is the best way I know to help surface those things in a way that's not me jumping in and telling teams what they need to work on. Right. All right. Get great at retrospectives. And I know, I know you have, I started off this episode by saying you're fun. <laughs> I know you have fun tools <laughs> and toys for helping with retrospectives, like those retrospective fortune cookies. Um, yeah. So we've, we've stopped shipping those uh, for the time being just due to COVID. But I also have, you know, behind me there, I think right there, uh, look at that, <laughs> right there. Um, I've got Recess, which is my retrospective in a box. Oh, my gosh, you disappeared. Oh, my gosh. Look. Are you okay? Have you fallen? Under followed? my desk. Oh, there you go. <laughs> oh, my gosh, look this at that. This is not scripted, we, we, we swear. But under my desk, I have, like, one of the first boxes of Recess, the, the yeah. fun toolkit for retrospectives. Yeah. In each box, you get everything you need to facilitate, like, a really fantastic... Uh, retrospective that follows the five steps of Derby and Larson's mm-hmm. uh, retrospective framework, a playbook you read out loud from, and mm-hmm. all the materials you need for stuff like Welcome to Hollywood, Mission to Mars, uh, Attack of the Zombies, which feels too apocalyptic to play at the moment. Um, <laughs> yeah. pandemic. Remember so, the retrospective activity called Global? Global pandemic, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those uh, those are super fun. We we're not shipping them right now either because you have to be in the same location together to play it. And also yeah. there was generally food in each one, so we're, we're sort of <laughs> stay away from that. But yeah, I would get I would get good at facilitating retros. Um, I think they are the most perhaps the most useful thing out of the Scrum framework, and they work well on their own. Even if you're not doing Scrum, 
Um, even if your organization was like, we're doing an agile transformation and then decided they didn't want to do that after some amount of time, if everyone just continued to do retrospectives, um, well, they wouldn't have the same advantage you would have with Scrum or some other agile framework of uh, being able to implement those things on their own easily with regularity. Mm-hmm. Um, it would still be amazingly useful and would help probably bring uh, any team uh, closer together and working, working better together over time. Absolutely. And uh, is there anything else you want to add? What, what else is happening in Adam Weisbart's world? What else is happening in my world? You know, the, the summits uh, taking up a ton of time. Oh, here's something that's happening. Uh, doors are closed for it right now, but it, I think it's worth, worth noting. So I mentioned Agile Mastery, which is uh, uh, a community uh, where each month we have a speaker uh, come and, and do a workshop. Uh, we have weekly lean coffees or other similar events. We have an online community that's away from the noise of LinkedIn and Facebook and such, um, currently with several hundred uh, agilists in it. Um, so we've got that. And sort of an offshoot of that, uh, we're doing a program with Lisa Adkins of Coaching Agile Teams fam- uh, f- uh, fame. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the 10-year anniversary of her book. Nice. And um, I was talking with her and I said, Lisa, it would be really great uh, I want to run a book club with your book. Um, and I'm wondering if that's something you might be interested in, like being involved with in Agile Mastery. And so we talked a bunch about it and realized that what we wanted was something more than a book club because anyone can run a book club. You just get the book and some people. Right. But we have the author of said book um, wanting to be uh, involved in this. And so what we started is a 12 week uh, program mm-hmm. uh, called the Coaching Agile Teams Study and Practice Group. Nice. The first roughly third. Of, of her book. Uh, we meet almost weekly. We meet every three weeks, then there's a week break, and then mm-hmm. another three weeks, et cetera. Um, we have activities in the, uh, in the community. In Agile Mastery, there's a subset of it for the coaching Agile teams folks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get together on Tuesdays. Lisa uh, gives a talk, gives us some uh, field work. Um, we often break out into uh, to groups to um, do some coaching triads and such. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we get the opportunity to go through this program uh, with, with Lisa herself. Um, and so that has been fantastic. We've got, I don't know, 250, 260 folks in that program. Oh, cool. Um, and it's just been really great to see folks uh, connecting, having conversations um, in the group, um, working on this field work together and building more of a community. We've got folks from all over the world uh, tuning in for this and, and uh, taking part of it in, on, on the platform. So, that is uh, so that's cool. been great. The doors are closed now. So when you're listening <laughs> to it, you, you're like, I can't get in it, but we're going to run it again. Oh, good. And we've had, we've had Lisa as a podcast guest. So uh, you can go back and listen to that one. One of our best episodes ever. She's, she's fantastic. I have no doubt. It's <laughs> one of your, one of your best. And okay, Adam. So how could listeners get in touch with you? to learn more about all this great stuff. Yeah, so they can go, specifically, they should go to wisebart.com. That's W-E-I-S is in Sam, B is in boy, A-R-T is in Thomas.com slash Richard. Okay. And at that URL, um, I, I actually have a gift for everyone that uh, that's listening. We've been talking a little bit, at least about retrospectives. We mentioned my retrospective in a box and the cookies, but I also have Agile AdLibs. Um, Agile AdLibs are a, um, uh, do you remember Mad Libs as a kid? I do. 
Yeah. Um, so they're, they're, they're like Mad Libs, but you use them for your retrospective and they're specifically focused around um, a scrum team. And so uh, for those of you not familiar with Mad Libs, if you live outside the U.S., for example, um, it's where you and a partner get together. You ask for a verb or a noun or some other uh, part of speech. Um, they give those randomly to you. You fill them into blanks where those types of words go. And then you read back the story um, and it ends up being hilarious because it's got ridiculous words placed in places uh, accordingly. Um, and then at the end of that, after you and your team have laughed at the story that you came up with um, accidentally, there is a retrospective question. So it snaps you out of like your normal meeting mode. It sort of raises your state a bit because you're having fun doing this. And then you get to consider a, a serious but useful question uh, for your team. So that's PDF. And if you go to wisebart.com slash Richard, um, you can, uh, for a limited time, I'll leave it up there for a couple months, probably. Uh, you can get this, uh, you can get this PDF. Just type in your name. Uh, my other contact information will be there. Um, and, uh, yeah, that way I can let you know when the agile virtual summit is happening again, or doors open Elisa's program or whatnot. Um, and you'll get a cool retrospective out of it that you can use with your team. That's that's awesome. Thank you so much for that gift for everybody. And I'm imagining, what if we did a podcast that way? The, like the, the Mad Lib podcast, I would just say, hey, Adam, give me three verbs. Ten Sar oh, sarcophagus <laughs> is not a sarcophagus is not a verb. <laughs> a verb is an action word, Richard. Let me, let's try again. Sorry, I stepped on your... <laughs> All right, Adam Weisbart, thank you so much for joining us today. It has been super fun having this time chatting together. Thanks. Super good to see you. Thanks for having me on. You're welcome. And listeners, remember to support this podcast. Visit my website, kasparowski.com. Mm -hmm.